Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to How to Date, a show about how to master the messy, complex, and downright bizarre world of dating when you really didn't think you'd be back here again. I'm your host, Dr. Amantha Imba. I'm a psychologist, I'm one year out of my marriage, I'm a mum, and I'm immersed in the world of online dating. Hi, I'm also your host, Monique Robin. I'm a mum of four kids and a yoga teacher trying to find men who like me rather than my limber joints. Amantha, tell me, what have we got on for today's show? So today we have a professional sex worker or escort. I think that they're both how Georgie refers to herself professionally. And I think that's so cool. We get to get dating advice from someone that does this sort of stuff professionally. Yeah, she's also a published author. She runs her own podcast. She's a pretty amazing, accomplished woman. She is, yeah. I really liked uh, chat with her. I found that her, her strategies were very practical and just actionable. So, Monique, I want to talk about your week in dating because I have not had a week in dating. I'm just having a bit of dating fatigue. So I've actually paused the apps and I've actually deleted a couple of accounts. So I'm only on Bumble and Hinge now. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks to Dr. K. Yeah, I think it was Dr. K. Yeah, she recommended that. But yeah, I'm just, I'm on a dating break. So I'm hoping that that you can make up for my lack of stories. Yeah. Just for those of you who hadn't listened to Dr. K's interview, her suggestion was that we really focus on, say, one or two apps so that we don't get fatigued by the exchanges we have with multiple people across dating platforms. So good on you, Amantha. That's really good. Well, I didn't take a break. (laughs) So Amantha and I pretty much spent our whole lives together and did a lot of things together and including go to the same school, including change schools to the same school, (laughs) etc. Yeah, you're like my sister from another mister. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and another mother. (laughs) That too, yes. (laughs) But in saying that, I did spend a lot of time at your house and I don't think I would have passed year 12 if I didn't have the influence of um, Amantha's parents because let's say my parents weren't that academically focused. So Amantha's parents, credit to them, they did get two of us through school. (laughs) Yeah. So I'd I'd go to Amantha's house and we'd have to study together. It was so painful. Um, uh, Yeah, she was the studious one in our friendship. So talking about school, and that's why I bring it up, there was a guy uh, that came into my hive and I would say that I wasn't physically attracted to him. But he looked like a clean, tidy package. Do you know what I mean? Like he just looked like he was dressed nicely, his hair was done nicely, but he wasn't my type. What enticed me to go further with the exchange was that he was my age exactly and he said that he went to Wesley College and I went to Wesley College, as did you. 
And there were three campuses of Wesley, so and it was a big school, so it wasn't even uncommon that you wouldn't know somebody in your year level if you went to Paran campus, for example. But I still wanted to sort of see if I knew him or knew of him. And so we started an exchange of communication. Well, let's just call him high school geography. High school geography. Yeah, so we get on to Zoom. Nothing really took place other than trivial banter back and forth prior to that. And once he worked out that we were in the same year level, while we're on the Zoom call, he gets on his other device and looks up Facebook to see which friends we have in common. By this time, by the way, we'd shared surnames and realised we personally didn't know each other. So were you at different campuses then? Well, actually, no. He was at the Paran campus and, as you know, in year 11... We, you and I, went to Caulfield Grammar. So I did spend a little bit of time at the Paran campus, but the school is so big, it's not uncommon to not know everybody, especially if you didn't go right the way through that campus, as you and I didn't because we started at Elstonwick. Mm. So I didn't know him, but because he went to the Paran campus, we had a lot of friends in common. So I thought, well, I want to start to get to know him. So I started saying, so whereabouts do you live? which then triggered a question, I live in Turak. You know the blah, blah, blah family? Did you remember them from school? They lived near me where I live now. And I'd be like, no, I don't know that family. Yeah, you do, you're Facebook friends. Yeah, you're Facebook friends with everybody. And can I ask, with your mutual Facebook friends, was there anyone there that you're actually legitimately friends with that you could ask about this guy? Well, actually, three of them I was Facebook friends with because you were Facebook friends with them. Oh, So connections through you and that I just had no insofar as when I go to a dinner party of yours. Huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not really. Like I can't comment on their lives or one of them that he was particularly good friends with was a real estate agent that had harassed me to try and sell one of my properties, you know. He wasn't you know, a personal relationship, okay. not even knowing that we went to school together, this real estate All agent right. so and I. no one you could call for a reference check? No. But every bit of dialogue that we exchanged became an opportunity for him to do high school geography. So he'd say, yeah, my ex, she lives in the peninsula, so it's really good. I get to travel between Turak and the peninsula do you remember blah, blah, blah? <laughs> she lives near his holiday house. No, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. Yes, you do. You're, he follows you on Insta type thing. And I'd be like, no, I, I don't know him. And she, he'd go, yeah, remember he had a holiday house in this street? No, I don't remember that. And then he said, so what are you having for dinner tonight? I thought, oh, good. Well, we can't play high school geography. No. And I said, I'm having... Falafel, I'm getting really experimental in the kitchen. And I'm making, oh, do you remember blah, 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 that Israeli girl from school? I wonder if she eats falafel. Imagine that. Like, and I'm like, no, I don't remember blah, blah, blah. Oh, wouldn't it be good? Your friend's on Facebook. You should contact her and get a recipe off her. I'm like, I am? Really? So it got to the point where it almost became like my competitive streak came out and I'm trying to find a topic of conversation that would not 
relate back to high school geography. So I said to him, so are you, um, you know, keeping fit during COVID? <laughs> Wanted to ascertain if he was COVID fit or COVID fat. And then he said, oh, well, it's a bit hard for me because the, the real activity I'm really into is tennis and obviously that's a two-player game. Do you know that Mark Philippoussis <laughs> went to our school? <laughs> yeah, I, I, vaguely, oh I vaguely remember that. Do you remember blah, blah, blah? He was friends with him. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. And then he said, so do you swim? And I said, no, I've got hair vanity. I don't swim. And I probably do any other exercise, but I don't swim. He wanted to ask me if I swim so that he could then ask me, do you know that Michael Klim, that's Olympic swimmer, went to our school? This guy, interestingly, just as an aside, this guy had two degrees, right? Uh-huh. But chose, you know, in that in that line on Bumble that asks you to either mention your career or whatever, I don't even know how it's formatted, chose to write Wesley College, which is why uh, he's stuck in bloody high school. He's stuck in high school. Wow, yes. And, you know, I'd say to him, so what uni did you study at? Because we established our academic backgrounds. And he said, oh, I did my undergrad at La Trobe or blah, blah. I can't even remember. And he then started reeling off the old collegians that also went to oh uni with him. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then when I told him where I went to uni, he started reeling off those guys. Of course that he went. did. <laughs> I am serious. I have never felt so stuck in conversation in my life. And I've realised that you can relate anything you bloody do back to high school. Yeah, you probably can. Gosh, what kind of group was he in? Because I can imagine if you were in the popular group at high school, which I, I definitely was. was not. Yeah, if you're in the popular group at high school and then you move into the real world and you realise, ah, the world doesn't work like that and you're not always going to be treated like the, the popular kid, then that would that would be quite the wake-up call. So you're sort of wanting to relive your high school days. Do you think that's what happened? I reckon he was, and also that's because I didn't know him. <laughs> and you and I, we were in the same group. <laughs> no, you were popular. Oh, like occasionally. I, yeah, I, yeah, like I could turn it on and and appeal to the the cool people, but yeah. it wasn't my true nature. <laughs> so I'd return to you. It wasn't your natural grouping. <laughs> it wasn't my natural grouping. Mm. I was a would be if I could be. Let's admit, I still am. But this time I'm proud of it. It is my true nature now to be a would-be if I could be. Back then it was artificial. <laughs> you were authentically unpopular. Yeah, except in year six where my BFF was Natasha. Yeah, but you were always truly BFFs with me. Natasha was always a transient BFF. She had a go with everybody. You were still my BFF, but continue. That's true. No jealousy, absolutely. But I I was in the popular group for one year. Yes, I do remember that as as Natasha's handbag. Yeah, one amazing year of popularity. (laughs) (laughs) And then back to the the dork group. Yes, I I do remember us playing together for a year. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And Natasha actually also was a bit like me. She had to really hold on tight to be popular. (laughs) <laughs> Don't you find that? Like she was stunningly beautiful, so the boys liked her. But with the girls, they smelled a rat. 
Oh, I don't remember that. I felt like she fitted in, but maybe that's just because she was my BFF. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> not you, yours. You put her... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had too many other popular BFFs. <laughs> that's right. So what are you going to do about uh, our, our high school mate? Like, I assume you've just blocked him? Or? So, no, I haven't because I didn't dislike him. I just don't want to relive my high school days. So unless he evolves beyond... Wesley College, we really can't progress this relationship. But what he is suggesting <laughs> has our, like we now text, so we've kind of gone down a notch from Zoom to text because ah. I'm not really interested in talking about any more old Wesley Collegians, <laughs> given that you probably are the only one that I really catch up with and I mean, you and I speak like two or three hours a day. I don't think I have time for <laughs> another friend in my whole entire life. No way. <laughs> yeah. And um, I wouldn't want to make you jealous. So <laughs> we actually have a lot of friends, but we are besties. So <laughs> what he has been texting is the suggestion of creating a reunion. A reunion. <laughs> and I'm like, I only really have one person to invite to this reunion. And he's like, no, you don't. I see how many mutual friends. And he's actually not buying the truth of the matter, and that is that these people aren't my friends. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm negotiating a reunion that I'm never going to have at the moment. So that's where our relationship is at. <laughs> yeah, oh and we're going to, I think, play doubles with three other Old Wesley Collegians, which I still haven't agreed to, but it's been organised. Oh, my gosh. I just out of interest, how does that work, playing doubles against three other people? Well, him <laughs> and two others. Oh, God. sorry, I'm oh. going to be playing. <laughs> we are going to be playing against two others. Got it. I'm like, are you bringing an umpire? <laughs> <laughs> no, because I'm so good at tennis, they're going to have three at their end. <laughs> you know how amazing I am at tennis. Actually, that's really funny. Growing up, Amantha had a tennis court. And at one stage I had a tennis court too and I had a tennis court before Amantha did. So I would say I was the one that was really good at tennis but unbeknownst to me because Amantha, she becomes amazing at things in private whereas I flaunt it. <laughs> and when Amantha wants to become good at things, she does. Like it just doesn't. So I remember one time, you know, me on the back of having a tennis court for several years and Amantha only recently having one, we said we'd play together and I said, don't worry, Amantha, I'll go soft on you because you're not very good and I'm really sporty and you're not. So anyway, I'm not joking. She was like she came out as a tennis powerhouse. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was like just so typical of our childhood, wasn't it? That's funny. I was, I was playing A-grade, Monique. Yes. Um, and uh, although table tennis was where it was at. Oh, hell. you were amazing at every sport. But I was the one that was gloating that I was amazing at every spot. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, so that was that was your week. Yeah, that uh, was my week. So I'm back at school this week. Back at school. What yeah. a terrible place I don't feel to any be. younger, though. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get to today's guest, who is Georgie Wolfe. Georgie is a writer, sex educator and independent escort from Melbourne, Australia. She writes, blogs, speaks, teaches, 
podcasts and coaches to bring more sex positivity and sexpertise into the world. Her book, The Art of the Hookup, teaches straightforward ethical skills for successful online dating. And Monique and I were very excited to welcome Georgie to the show and get tips from a professional escort. So on that note, let's head to Georgie. Georgie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about speaking with both of you. Uh, Monique and I are very excited to be speaking to an escort. We feel if anyone can help us with dating and help our listeners, surely it must be someone that that knows what men want. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, So look, where I want to start, I'm curious, Georgie, as an escort, how do you approach dating differently than other people? What can we learn from how you're approaching things? Okay, so this might not seem intuitive. It might not seem logical. But what I've actually found is that becoming a sex worker really transformed my personal dating life. And the way it happened is that I've always been a very curious person. And in my 20s, I certainly got out there. I dated a lot. I had a lot of one-night stands, you know, all the things we do when we're young, that sort of thing. But I wasn't having a particularly good time of it. And I'm sure your listeners can relate to the fact that dating is an absolute minefield and we all have some ups and downs and sometimes we have horrific experiences. Um, And then in my 30s, I became an escort. Basically, I run my own business, I choose my own clients and the services I provide are like uh, companionship and sometimes sexy stuff depending on what's required. Um, And what I found was that doing this work where I needed to relate to someone and I needed to learn these sex skills and safer sex skills and communication skills, suddenly I had all these extra skills that, um, that were helping me and my personal sex life got a lot better and my personal dating life got a lot better. So uh, I ended up taking all this, this stuff that I'd learned and going, well, why, why doesn't everyone know this stuff? It's, it's not that hard. It's just that we're just not taught how to communicate, how to have good sex, how to, you know, date well, all that sort of thing. That's fascinating. And I guess like in the early stages of dating and uh, I imagine a lot of people are relying heavily on the apps just because of social distancing and the limitations of various stages of lockdowns. Like what what are some of the strategies that you found to be really useful in those initial stages? Certainly what I'm finding at the moment and what I'm hearing from my friends at the moment, particularly with the the coronavirus sort of stuff and the pandemic and particularly the lockdown in Melbourne where we are, is that uh, people are spending a lot more time online um, speaking to each other, whereas in the past they might have tried to meet up faster. Um, there's a lot of so there's a lot of conversation going on and a lot of that initial contact is much more important than it used to be. Well, it's always important, right? So I think that some of those communication skills, in particular connection, I think we overlook this when we are speaking with people for the first time. We're too busy uh, often stressing out about whether they're going to like us and worrying about whether we'll say the wrong thing. But often the most important thing that will determine whether everything works is how well we're connecting to the other person. So I kind of feel like often we should be asking ourselves, is this person right for me and how can I get on their wavelength? How can we start understanding each other better? And that sort of leads to, you know, talking and sharing and getting closer, all that sort of stuff that we can't do when we're too busy worrying about whether we're about to say something dumb. So how do you work out if someone's on the same wavelength relatively quickly? Well, I have a few little strategies myself. So I have a few disqualifiers. So I'm sure you'll be familiar with the term red flags. So a red flag is anything that a potential date does or says that makes you go, oh, hang on a minute, that that might go wrong in the future, or this might be a sign that they're not the right person for me. So I've got a particular list of 
of red flags. So anything that pops up, I'll go, okay, this person isn't right. Um, and that's really useful because when you're online, obviously uh, time is a premium and we need to sort of get rid of the people that aren't right and move on to the ones that are really quickly. If we spend ages talking to one person, even though they don't feel right, um, we're never going to get to the people that are right. So that's a, that's a pretty big strategy for me. And the other one is just, um, I guess, just cultivating that connection. And there are certain ways that can happen, taking, um, taking a genuine interest in the person um, and a curiosity. And often what that looks like is asking really interesting questions that are going to bring the best out of someone. Like what? What are some examples of questions that you find good to ask? Okay, so it depends on uh, <laughs> it depends on how I'm feeling and how personal I think uh, my match can handle. Uh, because I love a personal question, but not everyone can launch straight into that sort of thing. You know, sometimes when we meet someone, immediately saying so, like, you know what's your greatest childhood trauma is really not a, a safe question. <laughs> we shouldn't do that, right? So usually starting off with something that's light but also open. Um, and there's two types of questions you can ask when you're speaking with someone. There's open questions and closed questions. And closed questions are questions that have a one-word answer. So if I say, hey, what do you do for a living? Someone will just be like, oh, you know, I'm an accountant. But an open question encourages a detailed answer. So um, one of my friends, his uh, his question for matching with people on Tinder is, tell me about one thing that made you smile today. And it's a nice, light, casual question, but it encourages someone to open up and tell a story. And that's what we want. We want people to tell stories about themselves because then we can start listening and connecting on a more personal level. With your sex worker's hat on, do you believe that gives you, I guess, more ability to ask questions that are a little bit more hard hitting? Whereas when you're in your sort of dating zone, do you feel that the way you approach men is different? And do you think that maybe having that openness when it's sort of a paid transaction makes it easier for you to get an insight into men? That's a really interesting question, actually. I've never thought about it precisely that way. And I would say say that the fact I think doing this job gave me permission to take charge and permission to uh, to do the work. So when I'm being paid to create an experience for a client, it's my job to be in charge of the situation and it's my job to engage with them and to do the emotional labor of connecting and to ask them what they need and to do that work. And I'd never really done that before. I'd kind of assumed, and, and we often do, there's this gendered thing where we assume that, um, you know, that the dude has to be the one that's in charge and that the woman, if you're on a date, needs to be passive and go along with things and be agreeable. But what I found was that actually when I did step up and go, okay, what do I need to ask this person to really get them interested? What, you know, what can I do to make them feel more comfortable right now? Suddenly I was getting so much more out of people. So what I did was then take that realization and I brought it across into my personal life and, oh my goodness, it works wonders. And I wish we all knew to do this. When we say, okay, I'm going to take a bit of responsibility for this situation. What can I do to help this first person feel at home right now? Suddenly you're on a whole different level with regards to relating. In a practical sense, would you say that it would be a good way to get the most out of a person and find out who they are by just pretending we're there to offer them a service in our heads and finding out more directly what they want, what pleases them? Would that be a good strategy? It's interesting, you know, because I think that actually putting yourself in the role of um, I'm going to actively make an effort to connect with this person is super important for relationships. And in fact, they've found, um, you might be familiar with this, but they've done some studies that have discovered that the most successful long-term relationships are the ones where 
um, where the couples respond to each other's bids for attention and bids for conversation. So when someone says, hey, I did this thing today, it was great, the other person goes, oh, tell me all about that, and they engage. And that active engaging and that process is what actually keeps people together. So I think cultivating this as a as a habit is really good. I don't know if I'd frame it as um, I should act like I'm getting paid, so therefore I have to put more effort in because to me, it's kind of like something that we do for people we care about and whether we're doing it in a professional context because I care about my clients and I want them to have a good experience or whether we're doing it because we care about the person we're hanging out with and we want them to have a good experience and to nurture the relationship. Um, They're both valid, you know. I actually quite like your framing, Monique, thinking about it as like a job almost. It feels like it would put me on my best behaviour. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I do want to know because something I think about for myself, Georgie, is that in my work life and persona, I, I, I lead people and I'm used to planning and organising and sort of taking charge and I find it really hard to let go of that side of myself in the dating arena but essentially what you're saying is we should take charge and we should curate that experience so I'm just wondering you know from a gender perspective and I'm heterosexual so do you like are there disadvantages to that in terms of men wanting someone that is feminine and will let them take control Oh, there's so many interesting bits to this, I guess, because, yeah, you could end up in a relationship with someone who prefers to take control or be in control. That's not my dynamic and that's not the kind of person I would get along with, but, you know, it's a thing. The other problem that you've actually really rightly raised is that of emotional labour. So this idea that women are raised to appease guys and to, um, to do the emotional work of making them feel good about themselves and to hold up the conversation and do all that work, and that is a thing too right so um it's it's i think everyone should put an effort in but you're right if it's just you putting the effort in if you're just the one with the skills and the other person isn't making an effort and you're the one that's asking them questions and they're not really engaging it's not going to work so in a way it's almost like uh, giving someone the good bits of yourself and then stepping back and asking them to contribute. And I actually have a, a way that I do this and it's called Q&A, question and answer. So I'll say, hey, like, can I ask you a personal question? And then you answer the question and then I answer the question and then it's your turn to ask me a question. So I'll ask them an interesting question, like what's the best thing that's happened to you this week, that sort of thing, um, and then we'll both answer. But at that point, it's now their turn. And if they can't uh, engage at that point, if they can't ask me a personal question about myself or demonstrate a genuine curiosity or interest, that's a red flag and they're done. I'll move on to the next person. I like that game. How early would you introduce that? I do it first in-person date and it's quite funny. I've had some really good conversations. Um, I can go pretty pretty deep the first conversation, which is not right for everyone. You can do it really lightly. You can just say, hey, all right, describe your dream home or describe what you think your life is going to be like in five years. You know, keep it friendly and it actually works really well because everyone has to take turns. Everyone has to contribute. Otherwise, you know, those awkward dates where someone just talks about themselves the whole time and you can't get a word in, like it really avoids those situations. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. As a sex worker do you have any insight into whether 
that is the primary need of a man in a sexual context. Like, do you, I I often think sex worker, okay, the obvious definition is sex. Mm. That's what they're wanting. But how often do you find yourself providing needs outside of that? What percentage of of that work do you find isn't based on sex? It's such a good question. And I'll answer this by saying that I, I think that we as a society have done men a misservice by telling them that sex is all they should be interested in. Because I actually think that when it comes to sex, for people of all genders, there's much more to it than getting off. There's much more to it than orgasms. There's much more to it than just feeling good in your body, that it's always about connecting with another person. And I think that um, our society, and particularly Western society, has not hasn't told guys this, has not passed on that information. And so a lot of blokes, and this happens a lot with guys that I meet at work, they think they want sex. So they think they want to get laid. What they actually want is something else. And sometimes it's connection. Sometimes it's just touch. You know, sometimes there's that skin hunger sort of thing that um, psychologists talk about sometimes. Sometimes they just really need someone to listen to their problems because they don't have anyone. But there's always something else. It's never just about getting off because if it was just about getting off, we'd all just stay at home and get ourselves off. It's always about the other person too. So Amantha and I, we analyze each other's profiles and that sort of thing. So Amantha says to me quite frequently, Monique, you look too sexy in your profile pictures. You're going to attract the wrong kind of men. And it actually has been true. I Mm. find that I am attracting men that like say you're hot, hey, want to meet up. And then the moment I say, hey, do you want to chat first? You know, that sort of thing. They're like, (laughs) ghosting me (laughs) and in your opinion to meet or attract the right kind of man in the dating context is sexual appeal something we should sort of you know be keeping on the down low and making that emotional connection because from what you're saying men are capable of it and I think particularly at our age Monique because we're in our early 40s and I feel like maybe different for millennials and people in their 20s and but you know we're like We're more mature. So we're close to the same age, but I will tell you that I pick up a lot of dudes on Tinder in their 20s, so I guess I might have a bit of a handle on the reactions. And Look, it's really frustrating. I actually set up a profile once. I have two profiles, one for relationships and one for hookups, and on my hookup profile I literally put a lingerie picture up and in the bio I said, if you can look at my pictures and then send me a respectful message that, is not sleazy without referencing, you know, sexual stuff at all, I will sleep with you. And no one could do it. No one could do it. Oh, my god! I think this is because, and again, guys have gotten the short end of the stick here in that we've taught that when you see someone that is being sexual, particularly a woman that's being sexual, um, that you don't have to think about them as a person. And that sucks. And it's not, uh, it's not great. It is, it is how it is, but it's not great. So I feel like from a marketing perspective, this be might, might be why you're getting that particular reaction. I don't think it's cool, and I think we should be able to put our sexy photos up and have someone say, hey, I saw your photos, they're really great, but I'd like to know about you. Tell me about you. You sound really interesting. I was going to ask you, Georgie, as a, as a sex worker, are you, are you even interested in hookups? Like isn't it for you? You either have a meaningful relationship or if you're going to just have something casual, you may as well get paid for it. <laughs> I get I get this question from my clients sometimes. I had one that said, look, you know, do you even have sex at home? Because you must be getting so much sex at work. Why would you bother? And I said, 
do you ever ask your barista if he drinks coffee at home? <laughs> and he's like, oh, because of course, making someone a coffee is not the same as sitting down and enjoying a coffee. So the sex that I have with my clients, I'm thinking about their needs and I'm always analyzing and interacting and putting that effort in. And it's absolutely not the same experience as being with a partner because I'm the service provider. And that's that's just the way it is. It doesn't make it mean that it's not fun. It is fun. I love my job, but it's a different experience. So for Monique's profile, given what you've said, am I right in saying to Monique, you need to be more girl <laughs> next door or something like that? Because Monique and I are doing a photo shoot for her profile oh, on the weekend. Oh, lovely. Uh, you could go two ways with this. You could look at it from a marketing perspective and go, I just know that if I have sexy photos on my profile, I'm going to get a whole load of bad responses that I'm going to have to sort through. It's too much hassle. I'm just going to tone it down. On the other hand, you could use it as a filter technique. So what I love is having a sexy photo occasionally in there and then you know, just unmatching everyone that sends sleazy messages until I hit that that one person who goes, hey, look through your stuff. It looks amazing. You seem really interesting. I would like to get to know you. And then you know you found someone who isn't going to judge you based on how sexy they think you are. Something I'm interested in, Georgie, is I imagine a significant part of what makes you a good escort is putting people at ease because I imagine a lot of people are probably quite nervous, especially first timers when they see you. So much. Yeah. And, you know, this is probably true with dating. I imagine that there are a lot of men and women as well that get nervous on the first date or maybe on all the earlier dates. So what would your advice be for helping people firstly, just help put someone at ease, but also just feeling at ease yourself? Yeah, totally. And I think like we often don't admit to ourselves that sex and dating are terrifying. We're all terrified of being humiliated or rejected. We're all afraid we're going to say the wrong thing. Like we we all have this. So no matter how you're feeling going into a date, it's almost guaranteed that the other person is going to be terrified as well. And sometimes I just put it out there. I went on a date early, earlier this year before lockdown where we got in and we got our drinks at the bar. And then I said, man, dating is terrifying. Like it's been a while since I've been on one and I was just walking up to the door and I just realized how nervous I was. And he said, oh my God, me too. I'm so nervous. I haven't been on a date in like two months. I'm just so scared right now. And I said, look, maybe we should just, you know, not worry because I'm not gonna judge you. Like I'm pretty chill. Uh, I feel like it's all right if we just, you know, act like ourselves. And that was the best possible conversation we could have had because then we just relaxed and it was much more natural. What else would you recommend that that people do just to help themselves feel at ease or put the other person at ease? Yeah. So uh, one thing I particularly recommend for for men in particular, but for everyone, is to is to make it clear that you respect other people's boundaries. So meeting a new person is really stressful. We're afraid of being judged. We're afraid of being uh, pushed around, especially for women. I know it can be really awful going on a date and and being scared. So I love meeting someone who um, who will say, hey, like, um, do you want to meet at uh, this place around the corner? And then go, oh, but if there's another spot you had in mind, that's fine. Or I really like you. Do you want to stick around for a bit longer and talk a bit longer? But just to let you know, like a no is totally cool if you're not feeling it. And when he says that, I know that if I did say no, it would be respected. And then I can just relax because I know this person is safe. And this is my number one tip, particularly for guys, but it works really well for women as well. I find that when I say to a guy, hey, like, I really like you and I kind of feel like I'd want to invite you home, but feel free to say no if you're not vibing, like totally understand. And then they know that there's no pressure. Um, So that's a really good tactic. 
Okay, so let's say in the converse situation where you're on a date with a guy, I don't know about you, Georgie, but when I'm even approaching the bar, just by their body language, their energy, I can tell that I am not going to be interested in that person. Even before I sit down at the table, I know that's terrible, but what I want to know is how quickly can I call it? Is it like given that these transactions are quite quick because, you know, we can meet a person, go on a date, then meet another person, are we doing them a service by literally approaching the bar and going, no, sorry, I'm going to do a U-turn, see you later? Or see you I, later. Yeah, I, don't, I don't need any more friends. Should I, should I, or should I have that cursory drink and just hope they're a nice person but I just don't like the way they move their hand as they talk? Right. I have an opinion on this, but uh, there are going to be lots of people that disagree with me and that's okay. And mine is that you don't want to waste their time, right, but you do want to show that you respect them as a human being. So I would never walk up to someone at the bar and go, oh, God, no, and then turn around and walk out. <laughs> Although if you read, like, uh, say, the Facebook group Bad Dates of Melbourne, you'll see, yes, you'll see a lot of those stories. <laughs> I did it once. I did it once for the simple reason it was next door, the yoga studio that I work at. The whole bar <laughs> staff were waiting for this date because they knew that I was coming there and they were forewarning me, I don't think you're going to be into him. And so I had so much pressure from the collective to call it. But And actually, speaking of being a yoga teacher, I want to ask you if you can relate to this. And as a sex worker, you obviously get to pick up on energy very quickly and and someone's physical communication and I do too as a yoga teacher constantly reading bodies touching bodies you know um just feeling how they are emotionally just from the energy or the way they move and and I think in some ways that makes me that doesn't do me a service in terms of transferring to a dating situation because I'm too quick to pick body language and make and call it do you feel that that happens to you as well like do you do you get into that work zone where you can kind of totally read somebody's body and go no we're not sexually compatible or Mm -hmm. emotionally compatible do you do that yes absolutely and just on your um, comment about the yoga I used to be a personal trainer and it's the same skill set as being a sex worker obviously without the sex but in terms of you're coming in contact with people's bodies and you need to learn to interact with them and their energy in a way that's constructive and safe. Very, very similar skill set. So look, I do pick it. I pick it straight away. And I'm also really quick to pick up on red flags and little signals someone's not into me, things like that. And all this stuff is really useful and saves a lot of time. But And then there can be that painful sort of uh, in-between moment where I've, I've immediately picked someone isn't right for me, but I'm still going to stick around for 15 minutes and have a bit of a chat and show that I respect them as a human being and that I'm willing to interact. And then I'll do the, look, this has been awesome. To be 100% honest, I'm not feeling, I'm not feeling a connection. So I'm going to call it a day. But I, I would feel bad about myself. I'd feel bad about what I was doing to the other person and their self-esteem if I were just to go, clearly this isn't right, and and to just walk out without at least giving them a bit of time. And Georgie, what are the signals that you're looking for to see if someone just isn't interested in you? I mean, there's there's obvious things that I think most people can think about, like very closed body language mm. and um, all that sort of thing. But what are some of the less obvious, uh, I guess, things that you're keeping an eye out for when you're trying to read if someone's interested in you or not? It can be really tricky, especially if we're really into someone. And this is something that sex columnist Dan Savage calls dickful thinking. When we're into someone, our bodies are going, yes, 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 
this is great. And we're not necessarily, we're tuned into that feeling, but we're not tuned into other more subtle body signals that are going no. And this is the key for me. And this is something you might relate to as a yoga teacher, that body awareness, your body is very important. So if I'm sitting, if I'm sitting and across the table from someone and thinking, how is this going? I'm not sure. I can't tell by looking at their face. What I'll do is tune into my body. And then I might be thinking, well, I'm actually feeling a little bit tense. And then like my stomach's feeling a bit tight and I'm getting a sort of a pulling away feeling rather than a leaning towards feeling. And these are kind of like wishy-washy sort of terms for body feelings. Um, but often our bodies know before the rest of us does. So if you can put aside the, oh my God, I want to bang this person feeling, which is challenging, and then just sort of sit and go, what, what am I feeling in my body right now? Like, are we are we sort of pulling towards each other? Are we feeling sort of, um, it can give clues. And that that's the most useful thing that I've found that takes a bit of practice. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. And it often takes that question to yourself, how am I feeling this in my body to actually make that transition from those mm-hmm. complex thoughts into the simplicity of what your body's communicating. Because and I your body knows. Your body never lies. So I find when I tell guys that I'm a yoga teacher, they think, oh, limber, flexible, that's a sexy job. I can't imagine what it would be like for you when you tell guys you're a sex worker. I can't How even. You, you, yeah. <laughs> uh, so you so you don't tell them? Oh, no, I do. Sorry, that was a manner of speech. I certainly tell them first, first date. But, yes, oh, my goodness, being objectified for being a yoga teacher, I can totally see that happening. How do you and I deal with this? Like, you know, finding a guy that isn't just, you know, sort of living that fantasy of yoga teacher or sex worker and actually wants to sort of cut their way through to us. It's amazing. The the worst thing about being a sex worker is that a lot of guys assume that no one would ever date a sex worker. So then they think they're being really generous. They say, look, (laughs) I actually think it's really hot that you're a sex worker and I would date you just, you know, and I'm like, dude, I have three boyfriends. Can you, you know, you're (laughs) going to need to offer me more than that. My dance card is nearly full. They don't, they don't realize. So that's really off-putting. But look, I use it as a bit of a filter. The other thing that I'll do, and this is kind of like, it's called future-proofing. So if someone's exhibiting a behavior that's really off-putting, I can't make them treat me right but I can tell them why I'm disengaging. So if some, if, if I'm on a date with a guy and I tell him I'm a sex worker, which always happens in the first date because it's an important bit of information, and if he's like, oh, that's so hot, you also tell me all your hot stories, um, I'll say, okay, look, this is not going any, any further. And the reason it's not is because when I told you what I did for a living, you made it all about yourself. Like, and you objectified me. So I don't feel like you're seeing me as a person anymore. You're just concentrating on my job and how sexy you think it is. And it's really gross and off-putting. And I'm telling you now so that you can not do this to anyone else in the future. And then I walk I off. I love that. That's great. I'm going to use that one too. Do it with the yoga stuff. See how it goes. When I say oh, I'm a yoga teacher, one of the first things, oh, so what? Like, what's your most flexible shape oh, that you can do? You know what they're thinking. You can always just say, hey, that makes me feel really uncomfortable. Do you understand why that would make me feel really uncomfortable? And they'll say no or no because they don't understand. And then you have the chance to explain uh, if you feel like it, but you're not obligated to explain. But it, sometimes it's a bit of a aha moment for some guys because their imagination runs away with itself. And then when you say, hey, that's making me feel really uncomfortable, they sort of think, oh my God, wait wait a second. And they, they realize. So it can be a really good thing to do. 
Monique's nodding her head. I think she's going to use that one. Georgie, Monique and I were reading your blog when we were preparing and I was intrigued uh, by the time limited technique. I thought that was interesting. Can you explain the time limited technique and when we should use it? Oh yeah, totally. So I actually stole this. I stole this from books like um, The Game by Neil Strauss. So those traditional sort of pickup artist moves, there are a lot of books that came out in the 90s telling guys how to pick up women. Most of them were utterly terrible, utter garbage uh, and manipulative and awful. And one of the techniques that um, Neil Strauss explains in his book, The Game, I'm pretty sure, is the time limiter. So you walk up to a woman in a bar and say, hey, uh, I want to ask you a question, but I only need five minutes of your time because my friends are going over there or over there. And so I'm not going to stick around for too long. And the point of saying that is that it makes the woman feel safe because she thinks, oh yeah, I can engage with this guy for a minute and then he's going to go away. So I'm not I'm not being boxed in. But of course, then the pickup artist doesn't go away and then slowly it would dawn on that woman that she's made a terrible mistake. So my version of this is to actually go away. The best way to know if someone is into you is to tell them and then go away because then it's their job to follow up. Uh, So uh, going up to someone in a bar and saying, man, you look really interesting. I want to buy you a drink and have a conversation, but I don't know if you're down for that. So I just wanted to let you know, and I'm going to be with my friends over there. If you're keen, come and tap me on the shoulder. And then you walk off. It's really good, again, for guys because guys are told that they need to be the the sexual aggressors, that they have to be convincing a woman to sleep with them, which is a bit of a shady proposition uh, because you never know the whole time whether that chick is actually into you or whether you've just badgered her till she gave in. Like that's a pretty bad approach. Whereas if you let someone know how you feel or make an offer and then back off and they come to you, there is no doubt in your mind that they're interested and that's a good feeling. That's awesome. What a good strategy to end on. Look, my very final question, Georgie, is if people want to learn more about you and connect with you in some way and the work that you're doing, what is the best way to do that? Excellent. I love chatting to people. I am on social media. So I'm on Facebook. It's uh, Art of the Hookup. I'm also on Twitter at artofthehookup.com. And then there's my website, which is Art of the Hookup. Hang on. I think I gave you my website as my Twitter you get the idea. It's it's artofthehookup.com. So I blog around um, casual sex and dating. I also blog around successful online dating. I've got a bit of a like an anonymous question form. So if you're really stuck on something, you can pop the question in and I'll have a go, all that sort of stuff. And I love um, chatting to people about their problems because, you know, that's how we make stuff better. Awesome. We will link to all that in the show notes. Georgie, it's been fascinating talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on and thanks for sharing. It's been great hearing about your stuff too. Samantha, what did you find most valuable that Georgie had to say? The thing that really resonated with me is deliberately thinking about how can I make the person I'm going on a date with as comfortable as possible. Like it kind of sounds obvious, but I've never really thought about that. And I know for me, I think because my work involves meeting lots of new people all the time and speaking to lots of people, I don't get that nervous in the lead up to a date because it's like, oh, well, this is just what I do for work. I meet new people. But then I think I can sometimes forget to have empathy that the person that I'm meeting with is probably feeling really nervous. I think a lot of people do, just like Georgie said. And so thinking, how can I make them feel as comfortable as possible? And in a way that's selfishly motivated because you want to be able to bring the best out in them to 
you know, work out whether this is someone that you want to spend more time with. But I guess also just even being mindful, whether you find that point which does make them comfortable or not is irrelevant. The effort in caring or being empathic is, I guess, really, really obvious and that in its own right will make them more comfortable. Yeah. Do you get nervous before dates? It depends. It depends how invested I am. So there, you know how I'm trying to be really open-minded in terms of who I date. So there'll be dates where I will go in thinking, oh, I just want to be friends with them. I'm not attracted to them. And then I feel like I've got the power. So there's no nerves. And also similar to you, I spend so much of my time commanding a large group of people in a yoga practice that I feel pretty confident in that scenario. However, if I'm really emotionally invested, like I think, oh, there's potential there, it just changes me. I get extremely anxious. I start imagining how it's going to pan out. I start feeling insecure about the way I look and I'm worried that I won't be enough. And I think that my energy is completely different. Isn't that interesting? It's quite unfortunate, really, that like you're going into the really high stakes states in a worse mental state. Yeah, well, but do you know something? Because my job is so centered around reading and feeling and holding energy, I am so hung up on it that I can actually sense that my energy is like a baby sorcerer and it's flying everywhere and then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Whereas I go into these dates where I'm not interested and I'm so attractive. I'm so contained. (laughs) You're so confident. I've got poise. I've got enough arrogance blended with humility, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. It's almost like you need to trick yourself into thinking, oh, yeah, this person's just a friend for the ones that you really like. Well, yeah, maybe I do, but it's so hard because especially in ISO, you spend so much time leading up. So by the time you meet face-to-face, you have got either an investment or you don't. You know where you're at. Mm. Yeah, well, look, anyway, so my thing for the next few weeks is just to be really conscious of trying to put people at ease so that, I can help to bring out their best self. That's that's going to be my thing. Yeah, it's a really good idea. And I will try and put myself at ease <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so that I don't look like a nutcase in front of these prospective suitors. Yeah. Good strategy. That is it for today's show. If you have enjoyed How to Date, why not share it with other people that you think could benefit from some of the advice that we are offering. And if you enjoyed this episode, we would love to get your feedback. Please leave us a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listened to this show from. And we will see you next time. See you soon. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.